passage today, which is found in John chapter 14, and it's verses 1 to 17. So we'll just give you some time just to pull that up in your Bible or your device, whatever you follow along on. If you don't have either of those, it's going to also run on the screen as well. John 14. I'm going to read 1 to 17. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I would go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you will also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and I will be in you. So just before we come to prayer and before Marcus comes up, we want to to mark today as Remembrance Day. And it's an opportunity for us today to, to remember all of the sacrifices and the ultimate sacrifice so many men and women gave so that you and I could sit in rooms like this in freedom and the relative freedom that we enjoy. And I know that whenever we talk about Remembrance Sunday, for many in the room, somebody will come to mind. Somebody in your family. And this will be particularly emotional for you. And we we just want to respect that and we want to just show our gratitude for those before us who have come before us that have paid that price for us. And also, being from where we're from, we also want to recognize the conflict that we've experienced here in Northern Ireland and those who have been innocently affected by that. And today we want to remember those who have been killed in that conflict, but also remember the families of those who have been innocently killed and pray for them as well in their healing. So folks, I just want us to take a moment to bow our heads and just... Take that moment to reflect on the sacrifice that has been made for you and for me.
Father God, we recognize that your design was for this world to be perfect, to be without pain and without conflict. That when we look back to Eden, we say, you see, just the way things were meant to be. But Lord, because of sin, because of the fall, conflict has entered this world. Lord, we come today and we, we give thanks, looking back, Lord, for all the men and women who have given their lives to stand up against evil. And we sit here as people who should be so, so full of gratitude for that. Lord, we pray for the families of those who have lost loved ones in those conflicts. We pray that you will be near to them today as they reflect on that deep loss of a loved one. Lord, we think of our own country and we pray for those who are still dealing with the, with the hurt and the pain of losing someone for no reason whatsoever. There is no reason for anyone to lose their life in this country, Lord, but we pray for the families who are left behind to deal with that. But Lord, when we think of the ultimate sacrifice that has been made for us from a human point of view, we thank you for the bravery of men and women, Lord, but it points to Jesus and it points to the ultimate sacrifice where Jesus left heaven, did not count equality with God something uh, to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself, even to the point of death and death on a cross. And Lord, that is why we rejoice in this room as followers of Jesus that the price has been paid for us and that we are free. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Help us to grasp that, Lord. Help us in these moments together to grasp that we are a free people because of Jesus. Lord, may you bring your words off the page today and make them alive in our hearts today. As Marcus comes to preach, will you fill him full of the Spirit that he may speak words of truth, of encouragement, of rebuke as your Spirit leads. And Lord, may we be a changed people today who reflect more and more to a broken world that there is hope and that there is a Savior and that his name is Jesus. May they see it in our lives by the way we speak, by the way we act. Just help Marcus now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, David. Uh, so apologies if um, you have, so you turned up last week and uh, to discover that I was preaching, and then you, if you took a bit of a gamble and thinking, well, aren't you likely he's going to be preaching two weeks in a row, I'll go this Sunday, and you've turned up and here I am again. Um, maybe I should give you an opportunity if you want to leave now, um, no offence taken, um, but uh, yeah, as you know, John is, um, John's, he's off actually because he's a bit of leave to take before he goes off. Uh, we'll pull sabbatical forward slightly, just one month, and uh, so John will be off then from, in sabbatical 
from December. He's um, away next Sunday and the following Sunday in Elko, visiting um, our friends over in Elko, him and John Nixon. The two Johns are going. Um, so uh, just be, we just ask for you to, just as a church, just to be praying for this. This is the first time we've done a sabbatical type thing. And um, John is, and has been in bad need of it. Obviously, usually pastor takes sabbaticals kind of every sort of five years. And now we're seven years into it. And um, so he's long overdue. So please be praying for him and the family in that time. That it will be what it's supposed to be, a time of um, rest and revitalization and just just a real time of recovery uh, for John and the family and rest. So please be praying for him in that. Um, but we're, we're continuing on in um, the series of, of John that we have been looking at. And John has started. A lot of Johns in this this morning, isn't there? My sentences, John, John, John. Um, so uh, we'll get to Jesus this morning as well. So that'll change things a bit. But we're staying in the book of John. Uh, we're in John chapter 14. Now, I don't know about you, uh, nobody likes goodbyes, right? Goodbyes are kind of hard things, always really difficult. Um, airports can be one of the best places in the world or one of the worst places in the world, can't they? Uh, my sister uh, lives in America and has lived there for quite a while, and she um, would come home every so often, and when she comes home, my mum and dad inevitably go up and pick her up at the airport, and it's uh, like such excitement. My mum, just like only daughter, going to pick up uh, my daughter at the, or her daughter at the um, airport, and she's so, so excited. But then fast forward about maybe three or four weeks later, and the airport becomes a very different place. So the airport now suddenly becomes this place of dread, literally, as the time goes down. They just don't talk about it. They don't talk about that, that day when she's going to be going back again. And it becomes this time of dread. And so they can be either places of joy or places of uh, sadness. And goodbyes generally are times that are really, really difficult and sad. Well, and that's sort of what's happening here in John. So John, now we've got to a point in John where Jesus is now starting to say his final goodbyes to his disciples. And he's telling them that he's going to be going away and there's a, there's a darkness kind of starts coming over the disciples at this point. Um, a lot has happened. So last week we've seen a lot of happened in John chapter 13. Um, the, the master has come and done the culturally like unthinkable where he's got down and washed the feet of his students. Um, the disciples have been told that one of them is going to betray Jesus. Peter is told that he's going to deny Jesus uh, three times, and Jesus said he'll believe in them, and where he's going, they can't follow. So that's, a, that's one hack of a night that they've had, and they've took all of this stuff in. And it's hard to imagine what the mood would have been like, maybe, um, but I would imagine the disciples at this point were going to be really, really confused. You know, thinking things like, so what does it mean somebody's going to somebody's going to like sell him out or somebody's going to like hand him over or what, what does that even look like what, what is he talking about what does it mean that somebody's going to betray him and he says one of us like, what? Who, who could that be now there may have been one of the disciples John who may have known but the, most of the disciples were unaware at this point who is that going to be what does he mean he's going to go away somewhere and we can't follow him what is going on here? What is Jesus talking about? There's been to be so much uncertainty, I would imagine. Um, they had practically lived with this person, Jesus, over the last three years. They'd lived with him. They'd followed him. They'd left their jobs for him, their careers for him. Um, they'd left everything. They'd devoted their lives to this person. And now this person said he's going to go and they can't follow him. 
So the Barnabas so confused, whatever the feeling is among the disciples, here's what we can be sure. We can be sure at this point that they're feeling really troubled. Really troubled. So how do we know that? Well, if you're following along the reading, you'll see that. Jesus opens up this chapter with the words, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. And so Jesus, obviously being God, obviously sensing what's going on, he probably he was there. He could see it in the disciples' face. He knew what was happening. And he knew that their hearts were starting to feel really troubled, anxious, uneasy, and not at rest. And so what he does here is this whole chapter 14 hinges around this first line, let not your hearts be troubled. And now what Jesus is going to do, he's going to try and tell them reasons why their hearts should not be troubled. And so it all hinges around that. And so uh, troubled, or you could call it anxiety or worry, it's something that affects all of us, right? Every single one of us, I imagine, in this room has at some point or other felt troubled and anxiety. For some, it might be just a just a, a moment, a temporary worry, just for a moment. And for others, it could be this crippling sort of daily disorder that just stifles you every single day. I, I imagine if we looked up the stats for anxiety over the past 20 months, I would imagine they'd have rocketed. In fact, the stats won't even reflect it because there'll be so much undiagnosed anxiety in the community and in people all around this whole last 20 months of COVID. And we've seen that, and I've seen that up close in, in our family as well. It's something that can really grip you and really control everything. And Jesus knows that. He knows that more than any of us. And so this morning, what this, this morning is not going to be like a counseling session on anxiety or worry or being troubled. Um, I'm not going to start addressing every single source or type of anxiety. But what we're simply going to do is we're just going to go through part of chapter 14 and just to see how, what does Jesus say to his disciples? How does he try to speak into this amongst his disciples? And we know that we'll be able to learn something from that as well. So let's see. We're going to start at verse 1. And let's see the first thing that Jesus tells us or tells the disciples here about how to counter this feeling of being troubled. So verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. So believe in God, believe also in me. This is the first, this is the first thing, this is the, the, the alternative, if you like, that Jesus gives to being troubled. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Instead, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, some translations, I'll, I'll read that. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, the disciples at this point, they didn't, they didn't really fully grasp really who Jesus was, right? They still didn't really grasp that Jesus was God. And they're still kind of learning and struggling in that. Um, Philip says, if you look at verse 8, we'll see this in Philip. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough. And Jesus responds, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Don't you get it, Philip? Like, as when when you see me, you see the Father, right? Because we're, we're one, and yet Philip didn't really still get it. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So Jesus is trying to help the disciples to see that standing in front of them in that moment was the Almighty God. And Jesus says, if the, 
it's as if Jesus is saying, if the Almighty God, the Yahweh, you know the one that you have this deep-rooted, inherent belief in, you know Yahweh, God, yes, you believe in Him. If that God was standing right in front of you now talking to you, you would be in awe. And you would be like, you wouldn't even be able to speak and you would listen to every single word he says and you would believe every single word he says and every single word he's going to say. And so Jesus is here saying, you see that way you believe in God? Believe in me the same way because I am God. Standing in front of you, standing in front of you right now is the almighty God, the creator of heavens and earth. I am he. I am Yahweh. You're looking at him. And so he's saying, whatever I have said to you in the past and whatever I'm about to say to you now, believe it. This is the, this is the foundation of overcoming your troubled soul is believe what I will say to you. Over in um, John chapter 20, um, Jesus sort of speaks into this. John chapter 20, verse 30. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in the book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So here's Jesus saying the same thing. He's saying the source of life, the foundation of you experiencing life in all of that entails is believing in me. Believing in me. Now, there's a belief that you and I need whenever we first become a Christian, right? There is a belief. There's a belief that's needed. There's a trust and a belief that's needed then. We have to believe that, um, of, that we're sinners, right? We've got to come to that point where we believe that actually I am a sinner and I need salvation. I need rescued. My sin has offended the Almighty God. And so I need someone to come in and deal with this sin that I can't deal with. And so there's a belief in that. There's a belief that Jesus is that remedy. A belief that Jesus is God's son, that he came to die on earth. And when he came to die on earth, he didn't die for anything he did. He died for all the sin that we have done. So he knew that instead of us have taken the punishment, that he stepped into our place and he took all the punishment and the wrath of God for us. And there's a belief that's needed there. We have to believe that in order to accept it. Yes, there's a belief needed in when we come to salvation. But belief doesn't stop at that point, right? That's the, that's the springboard. Every single day we have to exercise this belief, or maybe you'd rather term it trust. Same thing. We have to exercise this belief and trust in God. And so our primary line of defense, Jesus is saying to the disciples and to us against being troubled, against anxiety and worry, is to exercise this belief in the all-powerful, all-knowing, supreme and sovereign King of all things, who is in control of all things for his glory and our joy. Look at, turn to Psalm 56. The psalmist says the same thing as well in Psalm 56. Psalm 56, verses 3 to 4. He says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose words I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid what flesh can do to me. Right? So he's saying, it's because I trust 
That's why I'm not going to be afraid. For over in Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4, it says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stead on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Whenever you're troubled and whenever we're troubled and anxious and worry takes over, I think the hardest thing sometimes for us to do, hardest thing sometimes for us to do as believers is to open up God's word and just to sit in God's word and to read it and to study it. I think sometimes the hardest thing to do is actually just to press play on the worship music and listen to some worship music. In fact, I think sometimes it's hard for us to do anything. Sometimes it's almost impossible for us to drag ourselves out of bed, to even want to get out of bed. Anxiety and trouble can be so, so paralyzing and so debilitating. And sometimes it can be hard for us to do anything. But Jesus here, he wants us to press more into him, press into God in those times, know him. He's the one place, he's the one and only place that you'll find true strength and refuge and comfort. Why? Because he's the only one who goes before. He's already went before all your trouble. He knows all your trouble. He knows everything about it. When we're worried about and there's uncertainty about the future, believe in God who goes before. It's all, it's all has to rest on him. It's almost like this is like a foundational thing we need to do. We have to get our belief in God. Are we believing in God more? Or are we believing in our own wisdom? Or are we believing in the outcome of certain, uh, a certain sort of anxiety that's troubling us? We have to strip it back and believe in God. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Disciples, don't be troubled. You, you believe in God. Believe also in me in the same way. Then you move on. And we'll keep reading through this. Verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, here's... Um, I'm going to ask Gail, actually, if you put a picture up, if it works. Jackers gave a baller this morning. So I want you to look at this picture. Now, here's... A, you don't want to meet this, this boy in... Right, a dark alley. Right, so I want you to look at that picture for a bit, right, and think about what that thing could do to you. Right, maybe that's not a good thought. It's not a good thought, right? Right, but what he could do to you. Now, as that picture's in front of you, I, I want you to stop thinking about it. So none of you are thinking about it now, right? You are still thinking about it. It's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky to stop thinking about that when it's still right there in front of you. So put the next picture up, Gail. Does anyone recognize this picture? Look at you. By the way, I'm, I got this. This is not plagiarism around the God. This is um, uh, our own Ryan who took this. Isn't that an awesome picture? Like, I know the projector doesn't show it in full glory, but awesome picture of, that he caught of a fox up in the mornings. Uh, it's good, isn't it? Are you still thinking about the first picture? You're probably not, right? You're probably thinking about this one now. So what is my point? My point is, I can't just tell you don't think about something. I've got to give you an alternative, right? I've got to give you something bigger and better to think about. And so what Jesus is going to do here, he's going to try and give the disciples something bigger and better. He knows it's not enough just to tell them, don't, don't be troubled. Don't worry. Don't people say all this. Don't be worrying and almost it can be patronizing. You're like, 
Easy for you to say. Well, Jesus just doesn't say, don't, be, don't let your hearts be troubled. He gives them an alternative. So what's the alternative he gives? Well, he says, in my Father's house are many mansions, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So what's he trying to do here? Well, Jesus is trying to now turn their attention to something bigger and better. He's trying to get their attention off what's troubling them and think further down the line, think of something bigger and better. He says, my Father has got a mansion. He's got a house. And in that house, there's loads of rooms. And, and guess what? There's room in that house for you. I'm going there now, but there's rooms. I'm preparing a place for you. Like, and there'll be room in it. There'll be loads of space in this. And there'll be space for every single one of my disciples in that house. Right? And it's going to be an awesome house. And so he says to the disciples, yes, I'm going away now. And yes, you can't come with me now. Right? And I know that's hard, but soon you will follow me. Soon you will follow me to this house. As sure as it is that I go there, you also will come with me. And so here's what he's, he's trying to set their minds on things above rather than things below. He's trying to do what we read about in Colossians 3, where it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Or the same thing in 1 Peter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to what? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. Jesus knows that telling these disciples is not enough just to say, don't be anxious and don't be troubled. He needs to give them this alternative. And so now he's starting to give them a new perspective. He's trying to help them lift your eyes heavenward, right? Lift your eyes to the goal. Lift your eyes to your real home. There's a home awaiting. Don't get your eyes off this campsite here and get your eyes on your home because that's where I'm going now and you're going to come there as well someday and it's going to be awesome. And so he says, don't be troubled. Set your mind on your real home that awaits you. So believe in God, believe also in me, and set your mind on your real home. Then we keep on reading, verse uh, 3. says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now put yourself in the... In the in the place of disciples, if we can, like they, they have, as I said, they practically lived with this person, Jesus. Right? He was a, he was their Lord and their Master, yes, but he also was their really close friend. And now this Jesus, this friend, was now saying, "I'm, I'm going away. Oh, and you can't follow me. You can't follow me." When, when his disciple, when he first called his disciples, what did he say to his disciples? Follow me. <laughs> Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they were like, okay, let's follow you. Leave it all behind. Let's go follow you. So they're following him. And now he's turned around and he's saying, oh, I'm going away. And you can't follow me now. You can't follow me. But what does Jesus do? Well, he says in these verses that he assures them that he personally is going to come back for them. He personally is going to come back for them. And I love the language that he uses here. <clears throat> Because he doesn't use this sort of generic, generalized sort of language. Here's what he does, does, these verses don't say. They don't say, and if I go to prepare a place for you, 
I'll come again and take you to that place. He says, I'll come and take you to the Father's house. Look at the words he uses. If I go to a prayer place, I will come again and take you to myself. Take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you not get a real personal feel in this? There's a, you, you get a sense of the real even friendship in this. I'm not just coming just to bring you to a place. I'm coming to bring you to me. I'm coming to bring you to me, to myself. Jesus' desire is still to be with these people. Now, I, I don't know about you. I could be, I think he, Jesus could be forgiven for like looking forward to getting away from them. So I don't know if you people in your life, you know, and you're kind of like dying to get away from them. I don't know whether that's like a in-law thing or whatever. You know, you're over for dinner or Sunday dinner and you're like, I can't wish go home. I can't wait to get away from this place. Um, these people, I don't know what it is. I'm sure there's people in your life you think, I can't, I, I hate even being around them. Well, if Jesus, think of the, think of the, the crowd, the clan that he's with here. People who literally are going to abandon him. People who are going to deny even knowing him. Right? People who are going to betray him. He could be forgiven for thinking, oh, thank goodness to get out of this place and get back to heaven. Whew! That was a tough call there. Tough, tough few years there. But Jesus here is saying, no, 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 I, I can't wait to get back to bring you to be with me. I can't wait to come back for you. I can't wait. Jesus' desire is for us. Now, this is... It's so humbling. It's so humbling. If you're a child of God, then right now, right now, Jesus can't wait to be reunited with you. And he can't wait to be... Now, for me, when I was preparing this, I'll be honest, I kind of stumbled over this a bit back and forward, and my mind was kind of a bit... It doesn't seem just right to say that. There's something that seems wrong about that. Really? He's God, though. Surely, is it right to say that he can't wait to be with us? Like, But then I can't, there's nothing in Scripture that can back that feeling up. Right? In fact, Scripture says the complete opposite of that. If I believe that this Jesus came from heaven to earth out of love for us, came to rescue us and to save us out of love and he died on the cross because he loved us and because he wanted to redeem us and because he wanted to spend an eternity with us then of course we have to believe that well he can't wait he can't wait to come back to bring us to be with himself if we believe that he first loved us Right? He first loved you and me. That's the order of things here. We didn't love him first. We couldn't love him. He first loved us. He set his love on us. And I think it's really important for us to kind of grasp this, that Jesus actually wants to come back for us. If you're a believer now, if you're truly trusting in Jesus, if you've repented of your sin and asked Jesus to come into your life, then one day Jesus is going to come back for you. And believe me, he's not going to do that just because he feels he's compelled to, just because he has to, just because he made a promise and he can't break his promises, so he has to. Jesus is in heaven and he can't wait for that day. Right? He can't wait to be back with us and spend eternity with us. 
We talk a lot about how we can't wait to see Jesus, and that's good, but why do we not talk about Jesus being excited about seeing us? The only reason he's excited about seeing us, obviously, is because of what he done on the cross and what he accomplished on the cross. But that's the reality of this. And so Jesus has said to the disciples, believe in God, believe also in me, right? Here's who I am. I am the almighty God. And he's telling there's a, there's, I'm going home, but I, there's, a, there's space for you in that home, right? There's space for you in that, and it's my home, but it's going to be your home as well. I'm not just going to go and take you to a, to a, a sort of a, a big house. I'm taking you home. It's a home. And he says, I'm personally going to be the one that's going to come back in the clouds. I'm personally going to be the one that's going to take you because I want to take you to be with me. Then finally, what does he say? Well, for this, um, the disciples could have been thinking at that point, okay, well, Jesus, that's great. Brilliant. Can't wait. And that day, um, it'll be just awesome. And uh, the excitement of that day is going to be so, so good. But what, what, what about now? What, I mean, we, we don't even know when that's going to be. So how do we get through the next few minutes? How do we get through the next few days? How do we get through the next few weeks, months, maybe years or whatever it is? How do we, how do we get through that? They had, they had been with this. Jesus had been their teacher and their guide for all of this. Like literally, he, they had just followed him, physically followed him. Where he went, they went. What he did, they did. They watched, they observed, they learned. And now suddenly, this teacher and this guide was now saying he's going to go. And I'm sure thinking, what, 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 do we, what do we do now? Like, how do we know where, what the next city is we're going to go to or town we're going to go to? How do we know what we're going to do next? We were just following your lead. Like, we were watching you. You're the one that did all the miracles most of them. And we were like, you know, kind of mostly observers. What, how are we going to, what are we going to do? We've left all of our careers and all of that stuff behind now. And now you're going to go and we're like, uh. So what do we do between now and that point? Well, um, Jesus says something which probably even added to their confusion, first of all. Look what he says in verse 12. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. That's a confusing line for them. It's got to have been, right? I'm going away, the one who's done all the great works, I'm going away, and because I'm going away, you're going to do greater works. You're like, what? What do you mean I'm going to do greater works? How can we do greater works when... You're the miracle worker is gone. What is he saying here? Well, let's read verses 15. Again, 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then over to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying here, I'm going, but there's another Helper coming. Right? And he's not just a bit of a sidekick here. 
He's not one of these helpers, you know, he's just, you know, to help you along with a few bits and pieces you can't, maybe you're going to struggle with. He's not going to drift in and out of your life sort of thing whenever you need him. A bit of a good genie, you have to rub, rub this like genie thing and then next thing this spirit kind of thing will come and help you out. It's not anything like that. Again, the language here is really important because he says in verse 16, I will ask a father and he'll give you another helper. He'll give you another helper. So what is he doing? He's, he's actually equating this next helper to himself. God had sent Jesus into the world as the first helper. Right? And he was going to come and he was going to pay the sacrifice for our sins. And, and then he says, and now the Father's going to send another helper, another one like me, another helper. It's not somebody that's a lower tier to me. He's going to be as powerful. Just as the Father had sent him, so will he send another helper who is equal to him in power and able to do the same things as he did. And so in order for him to be able to do the same things as Jesus did, he, has, he would have to be God then, right? He has to be God if he's equal in power. Well, he is. That's the point. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inseparable. And I know we're not going to get into a big discussion on the Trinity this morning because we'll probably get ourselves in all types of, you know, models. But suffice to say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are inseparable. Look at how Paul talks about the three persons of the Godhead in Romans chapter 8. And so what Paul is, is doing, he, you'll notice what he does here. He, he interchanges sort of the... the who he speaks about here, but it's all around the same thing. In Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10, it says, You, however, are in the flesh. You, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, and he keeps on going, so he, first of all, is talking about the Spirit. He then refers to it as the Spirit of God, right? And then he refers to us having the Spirit of Christ, belonging to the Spirit of Christ. And then he finishes by saying, Christ in you. So whenever we, Jesus is saying here, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit, what he's saying here is, he will live in you. And as he lives in you, I will live in you. That'll be me. I'm going to be with you still. Yes, I'm going away in the flesh, but I'm going to be with you in spirit. It's my spirit. It's, it's that powerful. I'm going to be with you. And even better than that, I'm not going to walk alongside you. When God sends my spirit, he will actually indwell you. He will come to live in you, not with you, but in you. Even more powerful. And this Spirit, this Holy Spirit, is going, what's he going to do? He's going to bring, teach them. He's going to continue to teach them. He's going to bring to their remembrance all the things that um, Jesus had said. So when, this, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to now help you, right? He, just as I have, he's now going to take over and he's going to help you. He's going to bring to your remembrance all the things that I've taught you. But he's also then going to teach you new things. And so the teaching is going to continue. And so really... Jesus is saying, yes, I'm leaving you, but I'm kind of not. 
Yes, I'm physically leaving you, but here's the thing. I'm going to send my spirit, and he's going to be with you. And, and he's going to be able to go with each of you all the time, wherever you go. And so that's why you're going to be able to do greater works. Greater as in more works. Not necessarily more powerful works, but there's going to be more works because if all of you have got the Spirit living in you, you can all disperse everywhere. And you can do great works over here, and you can do great works over here. And then other believers who become Christians, they're going to do great works. And before you know it, the world is full of these great works. And so that's what he means by doing greater works. Believer... Um, you and I have got the same Spirit of God living in us. And I know, if you're anything like me, I walk about completely oblivious to this most of the time. Unaware of it most of the time. And we don't walk in the power of that a lot of the time. I know that. But when you're troubled, if you're troubled right now in your spirit and in your heart, Here's what Jesus is saying at this point. He said, you're not alone. Like you're not, and it's not that you're not alone because there's other people experiencing the same thing. Yes, that brings a level of comfort, but even better than that, you're not alone because I am with you and I am in you all the way through this. Because Christ dwells in you, there will never be a dark point in your life. There will never be a medical diagnosis an illness, an uncertainty that you will ever go through alone. Why? Because the Father has sent the Spirit. He sent the Helper. Not to be with us, but to be in us. So instead of walking through these things alone, we now will have Christ walking through it with you through His Spirit who dwells in you. So what what is troubling you this morning? So right now, what is troubling you? What tools are you using to ease this troubled heart and soul of yours? Are you so paralyzed that you feel completely helpless? Do you feel helpless and even lifting your, just to lift your mind from it? Do you feel that it's just too heavy and You just, there's no way out of this. I'm just too troubled. All we can say this morning to you is, believer, put your trust. Put your trust in Jesus rather than in what you see in front of you. If you're not a believer, put your trust in Jesus because of what you see in front of you. Right? Put your trust in Jesus. For believers, set your mind on your on our home. Keep an, keep one eye on that home. Don't lose sight of that, our real home, right? Keep keep an eye on that. Don't get fixated on this campsite that we're in now. It's only a bit of a tent we're living in. It's only camping out here. We're just passing through here. A real home is still to come. Keep an eye. Don't lose sight of that. And remember that Jesus is going to come back one day through the clouds. Right? He's going to come back and he's going to take us to be not just in, in this kind of broad speaking heaven, take us to be with him because he's the real attraction of eternity to be with him. And he's going to do that because he wants to do that. But until then, know that you're not alone. Right? Know that you're not alone. And you're certainly 
not powerless. You're not alone and you're not powerless in facing what tomorrow brings. So whatever tomorrow has in store for you, believe in God that he goes before, but believe also that he dwells in you and gives you the strength and the grace and everything you need at your hand to get through whatever tomorrow brings for you. Let me pray first. Father, where would we be without you? God, just stumbling through life, petrified of what could be ahead of us without any hope or for comfort or anything solid to depend on. And yet with you, God, now we have everything. So God, I pray that you will help us now in the midst of our trouble. God, will you help us to help us to believe in you. God, you need to give us faith to really believe in you, not just know all your promises. Whilst that is so important, and God, I pray you'll press us into your word so that we know your promises and get to know who you are. But God, we need you to give us that deep-rooted faith to actually stand on your promises then. Stand on your promise in such promises in such a way and have that belief in your promises in such a way that it actually brings peace into our minds. So God, give us the help. Give us the grace to do that. God, thank you that you have a, a home for us. That's going to be a billion times better than this home. Jesus, we can't wait to be with you. We can't wait to see you again. But how humbled we are to think that you can't wait to see us either. You can't wait to be with us for all eternity. Thank you for your humble love for us, Jesus. I pray for any of us here who do not know you, Jesus, as Savior. If there's anyone here who does not know you, I pray that right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the convicting power of your Holy Spirit, that you will convict them of their sin and convince them of your grace, Jesus. And I pray that they will put their trust in you, Jesus, to forgive them for all their sin. Father, thank you for your presence through your Holy Spirit. I pray, Holy Spirit, now you'll continue to help us as we remember Jesus, as we worship Jesus, as we sing our praise to him. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.